0: This is B2B Enablement, a Click.io podcast created to inspire sales and marketing leaders navigating digital transformation. I'm your host, Dave Carr, and on this show, we'll share actionable insights to build winning digital strategies and deliver better sales results with your customers. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 16 of B2B Enablement. We've got a great topic today. We are going to dive into how to approach industrial marketing the right way. And with me today, I have Joe Mills, who is a business development manager at Element3, a marketing agency that focuses heavily on Uh, working with industrial clients, and we're going to have a lot to talk about today. (laughs) So uh, first and foremost, I'm going to give Joe just a couple of seconds here to do a quick intro of himself, and then we will hop right into the topic.
1: Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, in, In my role, I'm super fortunate to meet with anybody who starts working with Element 3. So in that role, I get to experience everything from local businesses that are trying to expand regionally, all the way to national brands that have a footprint throughout the United States and even across the world. Um, So it gives me a really wide range of perspective on challenges people face. um, And I'm excited to discuss with you today on the, the sort of commonalities that I see across the challenges industrial companies are facing and areas that they should be focusing on for running really strategic marketing.
0: Great. Well, Joe, again, we're glad to have you on. And, you know, this is such an important topic, I think, for so many people, because, you know, as we look at the post-COVID world, there is just so much that is changing in marketing for in, for industrial. And, you know, we, we've said it so many times on this podcast before, you know, COVID accelerated digitalization and marketing efforts by a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as we're starting to look at this, this topic, I know, you know, you are fortunate to work with a lot of leading industrial partners uh, on their marketing strategy. So I'm just curious when you are beginning to engage with an industrial client and you're looking at their marketing strategy and helping to consult, where do you typically start in that process? And what are some of the common uh, themes that you
1: see? Yeah, great, great question. I think to begin with where we, where we start and how we get there, Because everything we do is custom, every solution is custom as well, it does sometimes present a challenge of asking the question like, "Well, where do we start? Everybody's got a unique business situation. Everybody has different challenges they're trying to solve for. But at the end of the day, what's helped us is to create frameworks that we're viewing through. And the three frameworks that we like to think about new opportunities within are story, strategy, and scorecard. And we think about them in that order. So as we're talking to a a new potential partner. In the story element, that really is the brand. Do you have a defined place in the marketplace? Is your positioning clearly defined? Do you have a noble why for why you are in existence? Is it something beyond just a product? If you haven't gotten there yet, it's very likely that we are going to be moving toward that beginning point. On the flip side, you might have a really clearly defined brand and you actually manage it well. and you keep it clean inside of the marketplace. In those sorts of elements, we might be looking more into this strategy portion, thinking about how do we take that into the marketplace more effectively. Oftentimes people come to us with pretty defined things happening inside of the business. Like, Hey, we're, we're doing a new market launch or Hey, our product life cycle is about to turn over. You know, maybe they've come to the end of like a seven to 10 year product life cycle. And they're like, Hey, we've, we've got to get back in the marketplace with this new updated version of, of what we've been selling. Help us do that effectively. Pretty rarely does somebody have all of that wrapped up. So the only spot that we pretty much never start with is okay. Let's build you a scorecard that allows you to get actionable data out. If you're doing, if you have a really clear story already and you have a very good strategy in place, the likelihood of us having a conversation is pretty low. So I know for us, we're typically looking at those first two pieces, but we're also trying to define how many I don't knows still exist. Right? I think a lot of a lot of partners that I've talked to have been burned by agencies in the past or they feel burned by agencies in the past because they want to do a discovery process for the sake of doing one. We also want to do a discovery process. Let's not get that twisted. We want to have the time to learn your business and to do research and to learn. But the fact of the matter is, if you walk in with all the answers and we are not finding a lot of I don't knows inside of the sales process, then the likelihood of us being a great fit is, first of all, small and the likelihood that you need an actual consultant outside of an actual executioner is also pretty small. So as we're hunting for where to start, we're starting to try to find where is there the least definition around what's already happening inside of your business? And therefore, where can we provide the most value? If we can't find those areas, we either aren't smart enough to work with you and we haven't solved the problem that you really need to have solved, or you're so on top of things that you need to find like a really good executioner inside of that space and just give them the information and let them go. So that's kind of as we're thinking about where we're starting and and what we're hunting for. That's the stuff that I'm listening for inside of the conversation. And it helps us determine which bucket are we starting in and Hey, are we a good fit to solve this or not?
0: Yeah. You know, I think so many industrial businesses too, because marketing is, has historically been viewed as sort of, you know, the flyer making department or the coloring in department, you know um, it's very hard, especially at an executive level to understand, Not only where to begin, but also how to work with an agency, and I think it makes a lot of industrial companies uncomfortable. Um, And I can say this: having you know, I ran marketing for a 1.2 billion dollar company, and we started using an agency. And I remember, you know, the the amount of work we had to do to make people feel comfortable about that, and it, it it's it's always tough. But I think that you know, back to your story, strategy, and scorecard example, you know, I think a lot of times industrial businesses jump too quickly to trying to wanting to put things on that scorecard immediately right and marketing okay. takes time especially if you don't have a story you know so building that and then building that into the strategy of okay how are we effectively going to execute in the marketplace and and then measuring and I'm not saying that you know you shouldn't measure any marketing activity but I think so many industrial businesses fall short because they try to measure too soon and they don't yeah. they don't focus on the value that the story creates um, when, when you guys are, in, are engaging with clients, like how are some of the ways that you're typically making people feel a little more comfortable about that process or how you're leading particularly executives? So I'm, I'm really yeah. thinking like, you know, if I'm a marketer listening to this, right, <laughs> in an industrial company, how do I yeah. help my, my executive team feel more comfortable about that process?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Probably the single biggest mistake that we see people make inside of the the marketing process is trying to tie everything back to a clearly defined ROI. You should not be engaging if there isn't an expectation on a return on investment in the future. But from a brand element or a story element standpoint, the question I like to ask is, well what's the what's the ROI on hugging your mom?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Pretty hard to define, right? But if you can if you can do that consistently, your relationship with her is probably going to be better. So I think as as an, if I'm an internal marketer and I'm trying to help my leadership team see the value in taking the foot off the gas pedal on things like paid advertising and lead generation campaigns, which are wildly important and are ways that you can very clearly, you know, you look at your return on ad spend, you look at how many leads did this generate. Hey, let's make sure we have automation or sorry, marketing technology in place that allows us to see this person came in our funnel here because of this piece of, of marketing collateral that we put out and they closed over here. And now I can start to define my return on investment of this campaign. All of that is great. And we think that's extremely important. And that's why a scorecard is an element of what we do. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't have a story to tell, you're going to pump millions of dollars into Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and Google ads and, and every other channel industry publications and direct mail campaigns and everything you can think of from a lead generation standpoint, and it's going to fall flat. And so I heard a quote the other day that it said, paid advertising is the tax businesses play for being unremarkable. And I think that goes a little bit far on the pendulum right? A little bit too far past where I think the the truth is, but it does start to get to the point of if you want your paid advertising to perform at its peak, if you want to get the biggest return on your investment, when you go to actually spend with media partners, having a story that resonates with your potential buyer is only going to amplify that return on investment. So as I think about how to talk about that to your leadership team is like, Hey, do you want to waste your money when we run ads or do you want your ads to be really much more effective? hey, then we need to build some foundational elements to make that come to life. And so I think that that's the story that needs to be told internally around, here's the the value inside of doing brand work about building a story is that in the long run, it makes you significantly more effective as a business. And it starts to put a moat around you that people can't come and encroach on. You get a really solid brand in place, a really solid position in the marketplace and people correlate you with that solution. Well, it's a lot harder to enter into your area of expertise than if you're just another widget company that they buy from and they compete with on price and RFP in RFPs every, you know, year or two years, Mm, just gets a lot more difficult to to grow your business.
0: And And you nailed it there. And I think that that is such the, the cycle that industrial has been in for so many years is, you know, Hey, we're all about RFPs. We ride this, you know, this cycle of, of bidding, especially if you're heavy in the commercial world. Um, man, and you nailed it. And that whole example of, you know, what's the ROI of giving your mom a hug? You know, it's, it's, it's so, I laugh because it's so applicable in, in industrial. And in the the fact of the matter is most industrial companies don't have a story to tell. It's just the point blank fact. And for negating building that story early on, is exactly what you mentioned about the tax, right? And, and I do, I would, again, say that that's pretty far out on the pendulum, right? Really like, like, <laughs> if, if you're doing it, if you're doing the right things, like paid ads can be gas to fuel the fire, right? Especially yeah. like, you know, in, in, in SaaS world. Um, but, you know, if, if you're, if you're approaching that the wrong way, if you don't have a story to tell, if all you're going to do is just go say product, 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 you know, it's, you can't market. It's not 1985 anymore. You can't use the same tactics even, even five years ago, right? Like it's, they don't work anymore.
1: And this idea that even, uh, sorry, sorry to to cut you off there. I think that even you talked about COVID accelerating. Well, if you look at sort of the rate of digital, um, engagement from let's say uh, February, 2020 in the United States to June of 2020, well, you see a massive increase in April, right? March and April, everybody's at home. Everything's online. I'm gonna just get online and engage, right? So paid ads were getting a lot of impressions. They're getting tons of engagement and e-commerce went through the roof, right? I mean, manufacturing has gone through the roof. People have really started to increase their purchasing interestingly inside of this pandemic. Now, obviously there are industries, sectors, businesses that have been crushed by this, no doubt. But I, I know a lot of people will also experience the real boom. We've seen clients that we have who are industrial inside of like the housing market, for example. I mean, if you sell lumber, if you sell sort of um, attachments to the house to improve the home experience, like you're blowing up right now. Yep. So all this digital engagement happens. There's tons of noise. There's more noise than there's ever been, and everybody's making a return on their on their ad spend. Well, consumers, and remember when you when you're a business, you know we're talking B two B marketing. When you're a business, it's not like you walk through the front door of your office or into your home office or wherever you're working from now and put on a different hat that says I'm no longer a consumer. You still buy emotionally and then you justify that purchase with ration. And we got tired of being advertised to with nothing to say. One of the things that that our CEO talks about a lot is a trend that she's just noticed and seen throughout the the marketplaces if you don't have a point of view or something to contribute that's meaningful outside of the thing that you're selling. People are not listening to you. It doesn't matter to them. They have other options. And so you have to have this sense of what do, what is my reason for being and why should you pay attention to me? Why do I matter? Why am I more than just another unit on your desk that you're holding on to? Why do, why am I more than just a component of your supply chain? Like that idea of having a point of view of having something to say, to actually contribute is, is what's making digital ads either be engaged with or just swipe past because there's right. just so much noise.
0: Yeah, c- I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, we'll circle back to a point you made earlier around, you know, measurement and ROI. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, going back to pendulums swinging, I think one thing that we're going to see swing the other way is, you know, as marketers, rewind the clock five, six years, you know, we, we felt like we had to measure everything. And yeah. measuring is good. Attribution is good, but it can also be over- Analyzed, And I think, again, when you start to look at foundational elements of brand, what's the ROI of giving your mom a hug? You know, like you can't put a number on that. And I think that to make executives comfortable with that is always a challenge. Um, And, and, you know, and a whole nother discussion for a a different podcast, perhaps. But there's there's so much to be said around how to manage change in an Mm -hmm. organization as a marketer when you're looking to make these big changes. And and you know, I'll try to touch on it in some future podcasts. I don't wanna take us down the rabbit hole today. If you're interested in hearing from some other people that are experts in this, one person I would tell you to go follow on LinkedIn is MJ Peters. Uh, she's with Refined Labs now. She previously ran marketing at, at Firetrace. She talks all the time in her LinkedIn post about the, the change process. She did a lot of change management at Firetrace. So if you're interested in that, check it out otherwise just know that that first step in creating that change in marketing is going to be an emotional one it's a, it's a difficult one for executives to get past and it's a difficult one to navigate as a marketer but if you do it effectively there is there is big reward on on the flip side of that um so to keep us moving because again I know we could we could talk about that all day <laughs> but uh so we we've kind of talked about that foundational element of story kind of moving on to the strategy piece as well you know, what are some of your big uh, big thoughts that you might want to share with the audience around how to approach strategy if you're in that phase? And what are some of the typical mistakes and misconceptions that you see industrial marketers making when at that
1: phase? Yeah, the, the biggest one is coming in with the tactics defined and no strategy put in place. Yep. So if you can think about a flow chart, think about strategy on the far left and you've got a bubble that says strategy. In the middle, you've got your audiences defined, and maybe it's only one audience, just depends on your business. And then you've got a set of messages that you need to communicate to them. And then you've got tactics and where, and that's on the far right. So strategy and tactics are far away from each other. And a lot of industrial leaders come in asking for a tactic. They're asking for, hey, I need to run a lead generation campaign. Hey, I need to get on social media more effectively. Hey, I need to rebuild my website and not to beat a, a horse that we've already been talking about, but nine times out of 10, if you're asking for a new website, you actually just don't like your brand. Like you don't like the way <laughs> it's showing up in the marketplace and you're building a brand new website for 50, 75, $150,000 is not going to solve that problem for you. Totally. And up process would be, be unhappy with the results. But even on the lead generation campaign, like I mentioned in like social media what you're doing is you're you're looking around and you're saying, well, what are we not doing effectively? What are my peers doing? What is my biggest competitor doing that I'm not? And maybe you're engaging with them on LinkedIn and you're like, man, I love their posts. You know what? I need a company to go make me good LinkedIn posts. And it's like, okay, but who's your audience, right? You might have a competitor and you're like, well, they're the same audience they have. Well, is that true? Why are people buying you differently than them? And it might be that you literally are competing for the same audience. That's great. But if you don't have a core strategy behind, what's the message that I'm going to put in front of them? What channels am I going to use to reach them? And who, who are they? Do I have buyer personas? Do I have those things actually defined? You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to spend a lot of money inside of tactics that you're not sure are working or not. And you're going to play this sort of... The words that we use internally is like project-based marketing versus program-based marketing. So project-based is now I'm running a social media campaign, now I'm leaning heavily into LinkedIn, now I'm leaning heavily into Google ads, now I'm leaning heavily into creating blog content and videos for inbound leads. And you sort of pick these projects to go hunt down. Instead of having a marketing program, that's like, here's the evergreen content I'm creating. Here are the ABM campaigns I'm going to run. Here is the time of season of the year that is really important for me, I'm you know, entering trade show season or conference season. And that means that I need to target these sorts of buyers right now. And you start to build out an actual program that runs consistently and allows you to make iterations on it. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake I see people making is coming in with tactics predefined and not having a program that those tactics are fitting inside of or a strategy those those tactics are fitting inside of.
0: I, I, I literally cannot agree with you more on that, Joe. And this idea that we need to have knee-jerk reactions because again, it's emotional. we see a competitor doing something or we see a market trend it, it's or you know it, so many times you know an executive comes in and says, you know well hey, we just need to make videos. you know that's the new thing. so let's go make videos. Mm-hmm. You touched on a really good point and if you listen to this podcast often, you hear me talk about this all the time, ideal customer profiles right? Like if you are not starting there, (laughs) there, there is so the road is going to be very long and very hard. And, and that's the first thing you really have to do at that strategy standpoint is understand your customer very, very in depth, uh, understand what resonates with them, understand their challenges. And, you know, it's the most elementary thing in the book to say, and, but so many marketers miss it, you know, begin with the problem. Don't, don't Mm. sell your solution. Yep. Sell the problem and look at what your target demographic is struggling with. How does your solution truly add value and begin building your strategy around all the messages that you want to tell around that? Um, and yeah, I, so I, we're not, you know, we'll, we'll stop beating the dead horse. But yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the propensity to move toward tactic versus strategy is just way too high in industrial. And I think that that's something that that's got to change.
1: Well, even thinking about, you know, one of the biggest problems that industrial companies are facing and they have faced for, from what I understand for a very long time is the hiring process, Yeah, the ability to get enough employees to meet demand. I, I read a stat yesterday. I'm a, I hope I don't butcher this, but I think it was something like there's 8 million jobs open right now in manufacturing across the United States. I know that Indiana as of the end of the year of 2020 have like a hundred thousand open manufacturing jobs in our state alone. And Indiana's is not a massive state, right? So you think about that sort of scale on a, on a place like Texas or California, and you're like, that's a lot of opportunity for employment. And when I've talked to manufacturing leaders around the country, it's the number one problem I talk to them about every single time employment, but they haven't thought through solving that problem with their marketing. They haven't thought through, well, that's an ideal customer per, uh, profile for me. My employees are that ideal customer profile because so I need to go find them in order to actually meet the demand that I'm getting right now, because otherwise I'm just sitting on the floor, losing production opportunity, unable to fulfill orders. And so even, and that's a, a whole another story that we could talk all about employee strategy. but even thinking about when you're trying to solve that huge organizational challenge, how can I use my marketing to start to solve that problem? And your point about understanding your ICP, your ideal customer profile well, the employee you're hiring is super different than the person that you're trying to get to buy your product. Those are not the same people. Marketing can support both of those, but the message that goes out to each of them and the way that you reach them is completely different. Yeah. Right? This, this person who is maybe a machinist in your shop is not hanging out on LinkedIn, most likely the company that's buying your product will well, maybe. And so even as I go into the market, the channel that I go to is, is going to be different. So it's, it's just kind of highlights, even in that massive problem that everybody's facing, you can lean into marketing to help fi- fix that problem for you. And it highlights the importance of the ICP, like you brought up in a really ex- exaggerated way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to scorecard as well, because mm-hmm. I think that that's an important piece. And, and granted, I mean, you know, Make sure you've got the first two taken care of before you jump there. But it's, I think, something that you have to weave into your entire plan, right? So if we uh, if we have a story to tell, we have a strategy, we're building out tactics, all through that, you need to be defining what you want to measure. What sort of key insights could you give us around what industrial companies should be focusing on in that scorecard, and how do you manage your KPIs effectively?
1: Yep. Great, great question. The, the thing that I'm going to chuckle about and, and start with is every single time we're talking to a company, the executive in the room is the first person to bring up the reporting. Always. It's Always. where every executive wants to start every single time. And you get <laughs> it because they're trying to get visibility. What they're looking for is, I need visibility into the effectiveness of what we're doing. Great. I want to give you that. I do. We want to get a scorecard put together as soon as possible. And we normally will coming out of our first engagement and say, Hey, here's what we're measuring now. As far as what KPIs to focus on, I wish that we had a templatized book that I could like send and say, Hey, here's all the KPIs you recommend doing. The challenge is that until you align marketing activities to business objectives, understanding what marketing should have ownership over in their scorecard is basically impossible the most normal things you see are cost per lead, leads generated, marketing generated revenue. You could see things like weighted value of a pipeline. Those are some, some standard KPIs that I would say more often than not are included inside of a marketing scorecard. But I think at the end of the day, the, the overarching one that you wanna figure out how this fits into your business is that marketing should have ownership over your pipeline. If marketing is functioning as an RFP responder and internal communications department, it's underperforming its potential. It should be there to make your sales team more effective. It should be there to make sure your sales team is busy. You should have qualified prospects that you are meeting with because marketing has ownership over the pipeline. And so, in your business, that might look, you know, depending on your sales cycle. And let's say that you you aren't going to be inside of big RFPS. Let's say that your world is you sell to, to Caterpillar, John Deere, Boston Scientific, these businesses that buy a, a, a piece of a component that goes into their new product line for the next five years, right? Well, that sales cycle is going to be long. It's going to be intricate. And your sales team is going to need to be involved in that for a really long time. Marketing doesn't need to generate you 100 leads a month. They need to generate you like two good ones, right? So your the things that you're now measuring are, are very different. Maybe one of your scorecard metrics is size of business. Are we getting in with the businesses that we need to? Maybe somebody else who sells a widget that is, hey, I'm selling a thousand of these a day, right? Or hey, I'm a SaaS company and I gotta get this stuff out the door quick. And I don't need to worry about production schedule and intricacy of sale and it's pretty self-service. Well, now marketing is gonna be trying to drive volume. And so just those those two very different business models start to indicate what your KPI should be for marketing. But I think the unifying factor across both, both of those is that marketing is there to make sales more effective, and it has ownership over the pipeline so that you can look at it and say, marketing is driving business results. Yes or no. If the answer to that is no, we need to change something and figure it out because it's, it's underperforming what it could be doing for you.
0: The, the big takeaway for me out of all that is, is marketing being measured on impact to business object objectives? Mm-hmm. Full stop. And, and that looks different for every company. And I think, again, like back to your point, there is no playbook. There is no standard document that says, here's all the things you need to measure. And, and I loved your point too, about, you know, how, what's your deal cycle like, you know, Mm -hmm. because that is such a big thing that I think marketers, especially in industrial overlook is, you know, if, if you're in an organization that's got 12, 18, 24 month long deal cycles, if you go in thinking that you're going to take to your executive team, you know, metrics on deal conversions, you're going to die very quickly yeah. <laughs> on the vine, right? Because, because people are going to want to see results in you know, a quarter, right? So it's like, wow. the, the thing I've always thought about is what are leading indicators? And if marketers are in a situation like that, like what are some things they can report on that do show leading indication of what that cycle is? And up front, right up front, communicate early and often around what those expectations are. We're not going to bring you in you know, 75 converted deals in month three, if, if we've yeah. got an 18 month long sales cycle. So yeah. what what can we look at? And I'm never a fan of taking an executive like, here's how many likes I got on LinkedIn or here's how many likes uh, I got on so That is one of the worst, you again, very quick vanity. path to death, right? Vanity metrics. Total vanity metrics. However, you can look at leading indicators. So again, huh. one of the things I talk about a lot is ABM strategy. If if you're a large industrial company, having an account based marketing strategy is a great place to start because number one, it allows you to be very focused. Secondly, mm-hmm. allows you to monitor and and track things along the way. And typically, those ABM type of deals are the big ones that executives want to see anyway, right? right? So like, hey, you know, if we're you know uh, manufacturing parts for for diesel engines, maybe Caterpillar is a great target for us. Well, let's make them an ABM account. Yep. If you start to go that path, you can start to measure meaningful intent along the way. So, hey, we've created campaigns. How many how many visits did we get from our website from Caterpillar? How many yeah. conversations or engagements were we able to generate with the sales team? How much content were we able to create that our sales team then went to use with Caterpillar? So that's another thing as a marketer. And you know, if, if you listen to this channel and you hear us talk about sales enablement, using sales enablement to, to measure marketing content's impact at the sales cycle is another huge, huge piece of it. So yeah, that's a, that's
1: a really good point. The the sales management piece. I think that also goes into getting aligned with your sales team. A lot of times marketing yes. is like the, the stepchild in the organization that is like called on when you want to see them and, and right. then you're like, now go away. Um, but getting sales and marketing to operate really as one unit where they plug into each other and marketing's listening to the sales team. Like, what are you hearing? Because remember, they are your best market research. You there are times we're doing formal market research makes a bunch of sense. There are a lot of other times where you can just go talk to your sales team and learn a ton about who your buyer is by listening to the questions they are getting in the sales process. What does my buyer care about? And on the flip side for the sales team, going rogue and just like creating sales enablement tools that don't align with the brand, don't have a message behind them, look terrible, undermine marketing's ability to be effective for you. And so getting that that alignment together is, is... a huge point you just made there. Um, I think it's really important. And the the leading indicator one, I think the holy grail is to have a scorecard of leading indicators, but a really, a much more realistic target is to have like a 90, 10 split where 90% of what you're measuring is a leading indicator. 10% could be a combination of just reporting on a number that matters to you. And maybe some lagging indicators that you're just having a hard time getting out of your, of your scorecard because they're always, they're almost always going to exist. Which is why I say the holy grail is hundred percent leading indicators might be hard to get to. But if you start to think about as you're structuring your scorecard, can I get 90% of this to be leading indicators versus lagging? That's a really great place to begin the thought process. Sure.
0: Well, and, and again, you know, it's, it's all based on where your business is, what your sales cycle looks like, what your ideal customer profile looks like. Um, there is no magic. There is no magic bullet. There is no magic scorecard that's going to give you all the numbers that you need. It's 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 part of that whole uh, that whole evolutionary process. Um, but yeah, sales and marketing alignment is another huge piece. And um, you know, we if if you want to check out some of the previous episodes, we we've. we've We've dived into that uh, topic several times before. We have a lot of great web, uh, resources on our website. In fact, I'll, I'll put some in the show notes if you're more interested in learning about sales and marketing alignment. I can drop some some info there. Uh, that's really a whole you know separate okay. discussion for another day. <laughs> we're we're yeah. we're really painting with broad brushstrokes uh, <laughs> in this episode, uh, but definitely think about that as well because you know when you get back to that you know sort of story uh, strategy and scorecard, the cohesiveness between sales and marketing becomes a big element of that, right? And it's, it's gotta be a big part of that strategy to make sure that whatever you're executing on in marketing is making it down to the sales team.
1: Yeah. If we get caught in a world where we're only talking to the marketing team, like now I'm talking about element three, working with a partner. If we're only talking to the marketing team, probably not going to end well. Like we need the sales team involved, we need product involved, we need executive involved. You need that because you need alignment around the organization.
0: The best modern marketers manage up, down and sideways, mm-hmm. like full stop. That That is, if, if, and if you're listening to this and you're driving, if you're in that chair in an industrial organization, the, the ability for you to manage up, down and sideways is absolute paramount to your success. And I think so many people overlook that, especially for effective marketing teams. And we've seen this for years, like in SaaS, right? Like you know, if no one goes to an executive in SaaS and tries to convince him or her how important marketing is, it's 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 intuitive, right? Like we've known that for years because it is the core of the revenue generating machine. Industrial is just waking up to that. And I think if I'm making a prediction. I think we're going to start seeing industrial and other big B2B market verticals starting to look, feel, and act more like SaaS over Mm -hmm. the next decade because they have paved the way. And I think people are going to wake up to those concepts and begin to slowly implement them. Because as you mentioned earlier, Joe, we still think like consumers and consumers in that whole model that SaaS built on was taking that sort of consumer mindset and applying it to marketing and and into their market. So, um, God, we could go on for, for hours about this. (laughs) So (laughs) I know, I know we we, we were kind of getting toward the end here, you know, just as we think about wrapping up, you know, one of the things, if you listen to my show, you always know that I always try to wrap up with three big key thoughts from, uh, from our guest around what can you take away and think about today? Uh, and tomorrow to, to start taking action. Um, so what what would be your big three key points that you would want to leave our listeners with?
1: Yeah, I think the first one is if you don't have a differentiated brand or a story to tell, you really need to start there. Um, and when I say if you don't have one, I mean if you haven't defined it. Every company has a story to tell. It's just about uncovering what's the interesting thread to pull that makes this real and makes it important to my, to my customer. The second piece is that don't get lost in the world of tactics if you don't have your strategy defined, allow your strategy to determine what your tactical efforts should be. That would be point number two. And I think the point number three is that the data that you measure is only important if it's actionable and that your marketing data should be tied up to business results. That is the the third key point there. Don't get lost in you brought up the like vanity metrics of likes and impressions try not to get lost in that unless those tie directly into your business goals that you're going for. Make sure that you are tying your metrics back to your business goals and make sure that the data that you are getting out of your of your scorecard is actually, actually actionable so you can go and iterate on that and make it better over time.
0: Three fantastic takeaways. Uh, Joe this has been an, an awesome discussion and I, I almost wish that we had you know another hour because there's there's so many topics that, wow, we, that we could continue to to go deeper into here um, but thank you so much for for joining today uh, for all those uh, listening uh, if you have not done so already um, if you if you find this content valuable uh, go ahead and give us a good rating on whatever platform you're listening on that helps other listeners find us um, if you'd like to stay in touch on this topic and more go ahead and subscribe. Uh, to the channel. We'd love to have you back for other episodes and feel free to go back and check out our our earlier portfolio of episodes as well. And uh, Joe, thanks again for joining. And we really appreciate uh, you sharing your valuable insight with all of our listeners.
1: Yeah, man, it was awesome to be on. Thanks so much for having me.